In this bonus episode, I'm once again joined by Damarato, a lineage teacher in the Thai Buddhist tradition, who's known for his unique one-on-one -on -one teaching style, conducted over Skype. This footage was recorded right before a dialogue about the Mahasi method between Damarato and Daniel Ingram. Due to a scheduling miscommunication, Damarato and I arrived to the recording one hour early. It wasn't long before Damarato began sharing his insight with his characteristic humor and precision, and so we decided to release this informal exchange as a bonus episode. Damarato discusses the role of story and how to wake up from it, what stream entry really is and how it can be verified, and the difference between sati and psychological repression. Damarato also teaches a coffee meditation, talks about mindfulness in daily life, and reveals the real practice of Anapanasati. So without further ado, Damarato. So how has it been for you? Uh, good. Yeah, I've, you know, still on my boat. You know, I used to travel around a lot more. And um, before, you know, the pandemic and so on. Uh, but so it's been wonderful, actually, just to stay put in my boat for two years, almost. Mm -hmm. Or it will be next spring, two years. I think I would happily just stay here, you know. I, I really like it. <laughs> well, that's actually part of the teaching of the Buddha is the quality that we use in English of been there, done that. Now that you've been some traveling, you've been there, done that. So whenever you think about going again, you think about places you've been and then you say, well, I've seen that. Never mind. <laughs> yep. Definitely. I think there's a lot, lot, a lot in life like that. Yeah. Uh, coffee just coffee about does not seem to go on. Just about everything. That's the yes. whole point. Everything gets like that. Yeah, it's true. Even enlightenment. Been there, done that. Oh, I'm <laughs> never yeah. mind. Start again. <laughs> this is part of the reason why they want to have noble silence. So people will stop going around uh, jawboning about what happened last hour. And that uh, the way that the mind works is, is the first time that we tell the story is when we actually fill in the gaps that didn't happen in the actual experience in order to tell the story. Um, and so um, the experience then becomes the story that we told. That's right. Rather than the, just leaving the experience as, okay, been there, done that, and letting it drop. So now we've got a story. And the further it tells, the more embellished it gets until there's some big what to do. And then other people get jealous and all they, you know, and it's just, it's really amazing how the mind gets grandiose like that rather mm -hmm. than just leaving and experiences. I, yeah, got that one. <laughs> I interviewed a memory expert recently on the podcast and his, his meditation practice is he chants Sanskrit, believe it or not. But anyway. That's his meditation practice. And he memorizes the Rebu Gita and different things like that. And he's he's an American guy, but he and he memorizes them and chants it. That's his sort of practice, you know. Been there, done that. Yeah. But he I said something just like that, which is that uh, he was talking about the role of um, retelling a story and what mm -hmm. it does to the memory, um, how, how memory is reformed, reformatted. The story changes in each telling. Uh, the more you tell the story, the more you distort your own memory of it, because you're by necessity in representing it, um, layering on all these extra layers. So by the time you've told the story many times, it's no longer re really, in many ways, 
uh, the story is always more important than the actual experience. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? I think, in a way. Oh no! What is the shame is is that we don't see that happening while it's happening. Right. That we don't recognize that we're actually formating stories. I've been there, done that. Waking up to the fact that as I'm telling this story about this past life experience I had, I actually recognize that I'm embellishing the story. Yeah, I cannot do otherwise. Yeah, because otherwise there was no reason to tell the story in the first place, which yeah. should have been done in the first place. <laughs> and so you don't tell them stories anymore <laughs> mm -hmm. because you learned when you wake up to it. So back to the point that you're saying. The shame is not that we do that, it's that we don't wake up to it. Because if we could see it, we would set that down. That in fact, in the in the teachings that I do, I tend to not do when even when I'm rambling, I keep rambling over to the same stories over and over and over again. Because that makes it easy so that I don't have to go dredging up all this other that other stuff. You just get got to yeah. the package built. Yeah. But it's also been well vetted. That's the important thing is, is that the package that we want to stay in is the package that's within the boundaries that we know where that stuff came from. We know its source. We know both the um, intellectual and the deeper meaning of it. And then we can say it. Until then, everything else is just telling the story about some experience that we've had. Constantly, constantly yeah. narrating everything in, in relationship to me. That's Precisely. what I do. I do that all the time. I notice it sometimes. Not all, I don't notice it most of the time, but sometimes I notice just how much uh, narration is going on, how much um, storytelling is going on in my mind about every little thing. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not just big things, but little things too. Almost my every action. Precisely. <laughs> it's all about me. <laughs> that reminds me of a story that I've told many times, and that is back in the radio days, back in the 1930s, there were many sports like baseball, football, and boxing that were on the radio. The reason for that was because there was someone in the box with a microphone giving a blow-by-blow -blow description of exactly what happens now. Mm -hmm. They added the video, but they didn't take the announcer away so that the announcers are still uh, either jawboning about something irrelevant or they're giving a blow by blow description of what's happening on the field, whether you're watching it or not. Okay, that's what we kind of do for ourselves. We give a blow by blow verbal description of everything that's going on. Yep. And I, recognize I, how much work that is <laughs> when i i know i do it i think it's reality that's the thing about you know but it was funny i was met, sitting here actually doing a little bit of meditating and so on and um i just um this was the the weight of that was um <clears throat> detected 
if you like. And I just sort of went, mm. you know, there's no way out of it. It's a lose-lose uh, proposition. You can't make the story, you know, the, the entire uh, justifying oneself through this narrative. It doesn't really work. Uh, so I just thought, sort of, I don't know exactly what happened, but I just stopped doing it, um, got up, <laughs> and uh, which was great. And I stopped doing got up and then just started emptying my trash. And I had a wine bottle, which I put, put out uh, the wind, you know, at the side hatch onto the pontoon and took out my trash, took out the wine bottle to the recycling area. And it was quite blissful, actually. I just did it. But there was, uh, it was sort of gutted of um, you just its, gave its significance. A, you just gave a very, very precise uh, <laughs> analogy or metaphor for the practice of Anapanasati. This is exactly the practice right here is, is that you finally woke up to the fact that what you were doing was not useful. And so you stopped doing it right then and there. You saw that as a hindrance and you threw it out. And now you're talking about taking out the trash, which is a perfect example of what we're doing with those thoughts is we're taking out the trash. Wine bottles <laughs> and all. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you talk about that a lot, that um, idea of just, you know, throw it out, uh, take it out, just do something else. Just take and here you are something else. What I've said. <laughs> uh, I've heard you say. I've heard you say it many times. Yeah, and it's uh, it's great. And this is actually comes a little bit to our point, which uh, as we wait for Daniel, which is um, I'm going to message him in a moment. Actually, one of your criticisms or uh, tweaks, should we put it that way, of the Mahasi method, or we at least certain ways in which it can be applied. Um, let's put it that way is this um, idea of just staring at it all day, examining the trash, looking at the trash, noticing that that's not a criticism of the Mahasi method from Mahasi. Yeah. That's a criticism of the way that Western Buddhists practice the Mahasi. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I saw that. I'm preparing for this interview. Please, please make sure that we get that, that point straight. I didn't recognize it until you repeated it that way. That's not a problem with the Mahasi. No, Mahasi knows what he was talking about. I've read some of the stuff. A lot of it. Oh, really? I yeah, I practiced the Mahasi method for two years. I was with Upandita himself and blah, blah, blah. You know, I've been to Burma and I've been to uh, Mahasi retreats in Malaysia and that kind of thing. So if you need verification for being in the stream entry, then you don't have it. No. Are you wet or not? That's the way to check, isn't it? No, it has to do with coming with the territory of absolute dead certain confidence that that's how things are. Yeah, that's the wetness I meant, you know, you could, it's unambiguous if you're wet or not, isn't it? If you're in a stream, <laughs> you're either wet or you're not. Precisely, right. And, and one of these want to know and they want to have somebody give them a certificate because that's how they got through college was with a diploma. So they want Jack to give them a diploma no matter how much it costs. Yep. Yep. And I, I, I'll, I'll have a chat with them. But I won't give them a diploma. They'll have to earn that on their own, in mm. their own mind. 
By the way, there's an actual sutta that that's spelled out. It's quite clear the stages of sutta ponds. Sutta number 48, uh, the Kasambian Sutta in the Majjhima Nikaya. Mm. And it is absolutely spot on brilliant. And in fact, that's the way that we can check in reverse. So I got that one, tick that one off. All, you know, the been there, done that's on all seven items on the list. I don't think it works in, uh, in progressive order in the sense of goals or milestones or wannabes. Yeah. Well, actually, I've found, I don't know, I know you've had a lot of conversations with people, many more, you know, many, many, many. So I'm wondering what you think. But I've found that um, sometimes, so you know, I, I mean, someone will discuss that with me, right? They'll they'll mention that they want to mention something, and um, and I will ask them sometimes what they really want, actually, and why they're practicing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a particularly good idea to ask them that question, but it's I'm not no, saying no. It makes it makes them ask themselves, and that's a good thing for people to start looking at: is what the heck am I doing here, and why? And sometimes they have really wonderful, and quite beautiful descriptions of what you know, motivates their uh, practice or motivates their interest in it. And they don't often bear much. And I'll ask them, what does that have to do with stream entry or what they think of a stream entry? You know, of course, there's different ideas, aren't there? Often they don't well, line up. Actually, the reason why there are so many different viewpoints is just because everybody's wrong. <laughs> And what I mean by that is, is that they've heard the word and they haven't analyzed it to the point of understanding what it actually means. Uh, because uh, here's one of the things is, is that the Samyutta Nikaya has a whole section on Sotapan where they're looking at it from an outsider's point of view. And so it gets danced around quite a bit. But it's in this number 48 is where the internal stuff is set up as to how exactly this, this works. Hmm. And that uh, one of the main things that uh, actually there's several key ingredients and one of them is absolutely dead certain interest in the Dhamma to so the point that you don't care much about anything else. Which means that if a guy ordains as a monk, you got to give him credit. He's on the path. I mean, who's going to just jump right in and do that and then stay with it? Like, for instance, the way Achan Amaro or Achan uh, Pisanto or uh, Achan Samedo and all of these guys. I mean, got to give him credit for that kind of stuff to just go into it and stay in it. All right. That's the dedication to the Dhamma. I've been kind of wishy-washy, obviously, <laughs> back in and out. But I'm back pretty much in it, dedicated now, talking to the students. I'm in the Dhamma four or five hours a day with nothing else to do. Yeah, it's amazing. And so um, another one, which is kind of interesting, and that is, is that we change our attitude from hiding from our mistakes because our mistakes and continuing to make the mistake is just continuing dukkha. But we want to learn from our mistakes and let them be our teachers. 
okay, which means that we're willing to confess openly everything that we've done wrong. We want to look at it. We, if somebody accuses you of something, we go, or not accuse you, but if one who is uh, uh, on the path of Sotapan is being accused of something, he wants to look into detail to make sure whether that's true or not, or even if it's partially true, why would it be seen from that perspective? Because he might be able to learn something in there. And then there's also the other additional benefit from that is, and there done that, wow, I'm glad I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. Or the other side of it would be is you said, he missed me completely. <laughs> right? All the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune just happened to miss. They're not well uh, aimed. Which means that uh, uh, the soda pond is actually quite nimble in playing dodgeball, but the dodgeball he's playing is with the truth. In other words, he's not inventing things to say, oh, he didn't catch me. No, we actually have to make that deep evaluation because we want to really know for sure. And often we get accused of the same old thing when, when we learned from it years ago. And then it becomes kind of funny, like, yeah, I remember doing that. He was right. I did do that at one time, but that's not who I am now. But an ordinary person, when they get accused again and have gone through it before, then they'll get into the sense of remorse, feeling accused, feeling uh, wounded, got hit by that arrow. Okay, so there is that whole quality of the Sotapan that has that quality of the, let us say, the lion club, club, the budding lion, the one on the way to the Arahat making mistakes, but willing to learn from them and joyfully doing so. Hot dog caught it again, which is exactly the way that we start practicing with Anapanasati. It's catching those unwholesome thoughts. And so we become uh, that one instant of the practice of Anapanasati then winds up being kind of a guiding light or the whole attitude of life is to say, yeah, let me really look at what's going on to see if what trash there is that needs to be taken out so I can come back into the house and enjoy the fact that it's clean inside. And so the soda pond is the one who's done an awful lot of cleaning out. And so when somebody comes in and says, ah, I see that thing in the corner and you look and say, well, there was something there once, but not there anymore. It's gone now. Can't you see that it's not there? Wakey, wakey. <laughs> what do you think about the idea that of um, that's commonly uh, held that say being a sotapanna for example one there's a moment when that kicks in you know there's a cessation or something like this you know i know i know no, we're getting a little bit that's like the graduation or the the sudden flash of insight or right. sudden enlightenments that everybody is looking for a flash of midnight sight that's so deep well there are a few like that. An example is, is that if you walk into the kitchen and having a conversation with somebody and notice that the stove's not on 
And so you put your hand on it only to find out that it actually is hot and you didn't notice that and you just burned your hand. How long did it take you to have your hand off the stove? Okay, guess what? You will probably never go to that stove and put your hand on it again without absolutely checking to make sure that that stove is turned off. In fact, you might do that with every stove that you're ever around again. Okay, so there is those kinds of sudden insights. But to have all of the insights that we need all at the same time, I don't think so. No, I think that they come one at a time. About as much as we can handle. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a lot to learn because we have actually been trained in a system in a society that did a lot of damage with a whole lot of lies. We have to unlearn a whole lot of different lies. One of the lies we have to unlearn is to say, it's okay to put my hand on a cold stove. No, you need to check. But then you recognize that, wait a minute, I can apply that same lesson to a thousand different things. But I have to recognize that insight one at a time after time after time until I can eventually, through what you call in mathematics, inductive logic, to recognize if I can make this formula work, for one to 10 to 20 to 30 to 40, then I can kind of trust the formula that don't go around touching anything because it might be hot. <laughs> yeah, that's a very interesting analogy. I like that. So uh, the, these are the insights and there, uh, but um, I guess the in, one of the insights eventually would be But this insight happens over and over again. And that is the insight of been there, done that. <laughs> That's an insight, but you, you can see how often that, that that occurs. And in fact, it's almost humorous at how many times that that one rule applies is that, yeah, we've done that. We put our hands on that hot stove and we're not gonna do it anymore. And so that's what we actually go back to that point about learning from our mistakes. So we, we learn not to dwell on the stories that we've told or been told. So here's a question then. Uh -huh. some, some mistakes or behaviors, let's say, are relatively superficial bad habits doesn't go too deep uh in the sense of it's not necessarily too deeply wired uh with other associations for example i think of myself i do all kind of things like drinking tea is not i don't drink tea because i'm thirsty i drink drink tea for all sorts of reasons it's sort of comforting the ritual of it and also it's a, a identity affirming statement. Now, of course, I don't, every time I drink tea, I don't consciously say I'm drinking, you know, I'm a person who drinks tea, but there's definitely more to it than just the hydration, right? I, I'd say. So anyway, but I that's... would go so far as to say that a lot of it has to do with motor habit. Yeah, we may in fact have just one mind moment of the thought of coffee and all the rest of it, even to the point that it's in the mouth to the point that we recognize that it's hot or cold and all of the time between the first thought moment and then the reaching of the coffee, grabbing the cup, picking up, putting it to the mouth was all done with very, very few thought moments. The rest yeah. of it was all automatic pilot done by the medulla and all of that kind of stuff That's way in the background there. <laughs> That's why I drink so much 
coffee because sometimes I miss it. I have this great idea to have coffee and then I go and, you know, the way of making coffee, I have one of those things you, you twist it and you put the coffee in and it bubbles the water up and so on. I just enjoy the movement so, so long, much. So, so long as it takes time, you're not just grabbing it and dumping it in or. No, uh, no, it takes a bit of time. But then, uh, then I'll sit down and I'll look and the coffee's been drunk and I, well, I didn't even notice I drunk it. <laughs> so I had this great idea to have a coffee. I didn't even get to enjoy it. I wasn't even there. Or, well, I was there, but you know, I didn't even, like you say, Motor. Yeah, that's very true. The Buddha gives that as a, as a food reflection. That uh, this in the Sutta number two, most specifically, in fact, there's a whole paragraph of it that uh, they, they recite at Watsu and Mok and other uh, places around uh, Thailand. Uh, I, they do it in Thai all over, but at Watsu and Mok and, and our kind of English language places, it's easy to recognize. But they get this little piece of paper out and say something like, with wise reflection, we eat this food. Not for the nourishment of the body, not for the aggrandizement, not for the fattening or beautification or the deliciousness of it, but only for the nourishment of the body so that it will be happy and healthy and we can put away bad feelings without picking up any new ones. I think I got it all. That's pretty well a statement of the entire thing. I've said it often enough that. So that's the wise reflection, and we can do that even with liquids. Of course, yeah. Uh, but the wise reflection, actually, uh, that little paragraph is really beautiful in the sense that we could do that before mealtime. The coffee cup is right there, immediate gratification. Okay, so in that regard, we need, instead of having that one thought moment of the cup with uh, and then the rest of it is automatic. Now is the point in time for sati to arise. The next thought moment is wake up and say, look, I want the cup of coffee. Do I now have a choice or do I have a choice of am I going to reach for that cup or not? Or can I just leave it sit there? Can I see that cup without wanting it? That's the sati, okay? And, the, and another way of doing it is asking that anapanasati kind of question there. Am I okay without that coffee right now? Can I do without that? Hot diggity dog, I don't have to have it. So mm -hmm. I'm waking up. And so we can use a, a coffee for that kind of stuff is to, to help us to remember. Because you're talking about that you're doing things absent-mindedly. Well, everybody lives their whole life absent-mindedly. Guess what, Steve? Congratulate yourself because you're waking up now. <laughs> well, hang on a second. I may need some more coffee for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's the coffee that's helping you to wake up so that that's you don't right. need the coffee. <laughs> but I use that statement often with the students so to wake up and smell the coffee is, an, in fact, a way of looking at Anapanasati to actually wake up so that we can smell. And the smelling is taking in an in deep breath and whatever overs there are around, including coffee that we're actually going to do that with the coffee. We're actually going to wake up and smell it and taste it directly because that's what we're paying attention to rather than having a thought moment of the seeing the cup out of the corner of our eye. And then we continue to do whatever we were doing while the hand grabs it and takes that sip only to find that it's either cold or the cup's empty <laughs> or it's too hot. Yeah, that sounds like most of my mornings.
Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> so this is the this is the real practice of Anapanasati is not while we're sitting on the cushion for long periods of time, but to start watching every gesture, every movement of the hand. This is definitely right there in the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the favorite favorite of uh, Mahasi Sarada. And so this is something that is practiced all over the Buddhist world. And for some reason, it didn't quite make it into Western Buddhism because Western Buddhism thinks of meditation as sitting on a cushion. As opposed to every movement your hand makes. And every breath that you take is an opportunity to wake up. Let's have some sake going on here. How am I managing this? Do I have any choice about whether I'm going to twiddle my thumbs or stop twiddling them? <laughs> I can only do that by waking up to the fact that I'm actually twiddling my thumbs, if that's what I'm doing with my thumbs. <laughs> or shaking my leg or whatever it is, the body movements that happen automatically. Let's, let's wake up to that stuff so that we can put a stop to it. Because we can't stop it if we can't see it which is like every baggage or every bad habit. This is the whole reason why the Buddha talks about it in the sense of that we, we practice Anapanasati for the fulfillment of the four foundations of mindfulness. But we fulfill the four foundations of mindfulness through the Eightfold Noble Path in order to perform it as the seven factors of enlightenment, the Sambhojana. But to we do the Sambhojana, the factors there, including the unremitting mindfulness and the unremitting investigation, keep looking at what you're doing, keep looking at what you're doing, let the real joy arise, but because this is really effortless now, you just get in the habit of looking at what you're doing. And that's quite joyful, and so you're relaxed, and now you're down on the deeper levels of the um, uh, Sambhojana which allows then when we get really stable and relaxed, we can see things really clearly, which is the, the knowledge, which is also then the knowledge that gives rise to the deliverance. So we could going back to that point of Sotapan, the Sotapan is the one who knows that he's got the knowledge to take care of the rest of the defilements and hindrances and, and whatnot for the rest of his life. He's got it going now. We're in the Dhamma, we're in the flow. We're not just coming back to it occasionally. It's much more like a beating drum. That's what gives rise to the name of the soda pond, but it really takes that kind of dedication to it that um, let us say is, is easily seen and exemplified as one who wants to become a monk or one who wants to be a Dhamma teacher for Dhamma teaching's sake, and then he winds up getting entangled in trying to make a living while really doing something he wants to do is just being immersed in the Dhamma and talking about Dhamma to everybody that he talks to. And so that's, that's where the monkhood and other possibilities fall into place that young men can find their way into the Wat. If they really want to get deep into the Dhamma, the right place to do it is in the Wat. And it doesn't matter what pose you're wearing, just so long as you're wearing something. <laughs> yeah. And so this is that dedication to paying attention to what's going on, paying attention to your hands, paying attention to 
the footsteps that we're taking, paying attention to the thoughts that we're having with the understanding that most of the thoughts that I've had my whole life weren't really worth having. Not compared to the kind of thoughts I can directly have when I have the kind of thoughts I want to have rather than the kind of thoughts that I'm in the habit of having. Because I can think of all kinds of good things. <laughs> and here I spent my whole life thinking about trash. Yeah, well, that's that's Western Buddhism, uh, as it's practiced by some, you, you've said. And so maybe we'll, you know, that, I expect that will come up. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, uh, I noticed myself, uh, the, uh, when I do occasionally catch this um, mindlessness momentum, and it does seem like a momentum, it needs like a monkey going from branch to branch, it needs to keep moving. It needs to keep going from thing to thing. Uh, in order to continue its momentum, I noticed that this tremendous that forward is momentum. Called restlessness in some forms of Buddhism, and it's called the monkey mind in later forms. I like the monkey mind. Yeah, it has that feeling, right? Branch to branch, divine to divine. Yeah, They're interesting indeed. It's and a hindrance. Pardon, go ahead. Well, yeah, it's a hindrance, all right, that's for sure. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's listed as one of the hindrances. <laughs> yeah, well, it's odd because it seems to need to keep going. It seems when, uh, if one, exa- I know one perhaps should just throw it out, but if one examines what's underneath it, it can almost be you know, oh, an, an existential, an existential uh, thing. It's the, like I said, this me project, right? Like a shark has to keep moving to breathe. Seems this monkey mind and this... Um, self this me project that I was saying earlier needs to always constantly be touching stuff fiddling with things moving in order to sustain its form Mm -hmm. it just falls apart when that is interrupted and then like you say it is uh, quite a relief (laughs) it's much clearer things are much clearer it's nice it's really good even whatever activity it is is um is just uh uh, better, but the one thing that you can't keep is the, it seems, is the accumulation of that betterness. You can't keep. You can't keep it. What I mean is, you can't say, "Oh, this is great. Let me store that. Or oh, let me have that. Oh, let oh, me pack oh. this away. This will be good." Uh-huh. It, that's the one thing you have to trade is the um, is the accumulation. Of right. Okay. That's. We can think of that as hoarding, and, and there's many ways that we can uh, refer to it. One is we call it spiritual materialism. Yeah. Uh, and that word can be broadened into uh, whole, having holy objects in the house. And some people really collect that kind of stuff. There's lots of people here in Thailand that have all kinds of paraphernalia that they collect. So that's one Some of that too, myself, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, some of that too. I think these books too. My goodness, these are my only objects. I don't know. They don't. They do float, don't they? Books float. So maybe if I sink, I can uh, use them as a life raft. But other than that, yeah. Buying books is exactly the same as drinking coffee. You know, I think in what you're describing, very interesting to watch the uh, sequence of mental events that goes into that decision. And uh, that's why on Amazon, they have a save for later section. 
So you can, rather than buy it, you can put it in a save for later section and sleep on it, right? And very often, having done that, I come back the next day and I'm not the person I was yesterday. And I, and I think, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> and I delete from the save for later. <laughs> you know, I'm not well, saying I'm, I have a pathology. That deleted from already been ordered. Well, that's right. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm a pathological book buyer, not at all. That's one of the good things about being on a boat is you can't do it. I'm, a, I'm saying I'm a, you can't have too many books, otherwise you run out of space. I'm saying I'm a pathological um, uh, self, uh, selfer. That's my pathology, I think. Doesn't matter if it's coffee or book buying. I seem to have the same, the same thing, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yes, it is exactly the same thing. The only thing that's changed is the object that needs to be woken up to. That's right. Okay. That's just so wakey wakey. Make yeah. sure that you want uh that you really do need that book. Yeah. It's true. I noticed this spore, you know, this thing you're talking about. It's like when you track an animal. Or you want to see evidence of an animal of course you can see the animal but there are other ways too you can notice its tracks or notice its droppings laying about you think aha rabbit must have come by here or a deer must have come by here that's mm -hmm. what i'm describing i'm describing the little piles of shit that i see around that uh, give me a, give me a sense that there's it's like huh well that there's, there's some dukkha here there's some there's yes some exactly <laughs> but the point is is that all we have to do with that analogy is mm -hmm. to make sure in this moment you don't step in that uh, uh, rabbit droppings. Mm -hmm. I call it cow pies, all right? That we don't really have to worry about what animal dropped those cow pies. We only need to make sure that we don't step in this cow pie. Just this present moment. See, the problem is, is that when we say, oh, the animal that dropped that cow pie or the animal that dropped that uh, rabbit dropping is, is lunch, I want it. Or the other side of it would be, oh no, with one dropping like that, I bet there's more rabbits. I better be very extra careful. In fact, I can't be helped, but I'm going to be covered with uh, rabbit shit no matter what happens. Which yeah, here's, the problem, Tamarata. here's the problem, Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I'm the rabbit. I know who made that shit, and it's me. <laughs> I can't blame. I can't blame the rabbit. <laughs> That's spot on. That's exactly right. Except that it's not necessarily you who did that little uh, dropping. But the issue was is that you were taught how to do it. You were taught that you were supposed to do it. And then you got into the habit of doing it. And then you were doing it mindlessly. So when it happened, you don't even recognize that you're doing it. You only recognize later that you don't want to step in it. Yep. Okay. That's about right. All right. Well, if we recognize it from that perspective is, is that, oh, well, what keeps that rabbit alive is the ability, because the only thing that that rabbit has going for it is doing these rabbit droppings. That's his whole point in life. And if all of a sudden we don't go stepping in those rabbit droppings anymore, 
that means that that particular rabbit has no more use or purpose in the mind and it begins to wither and die away. Here's another example of that. And that is, is that you've got a, um, you've got a plant, you've got a, um, got a weed <laughs> and the weed is growing out of the crack in the pavement. And we're trying to get that weed out, but we don't want to dig up or we can't dig up or we don't know how to dig up or we'll get into trouble if we dig up that pavement to get that, uh, the root out so that that weed won't grow anymore. Okay, that's the dilemma is, is that we can't do anything about that weed, except we can do this. When we see it come up, we can whack it off. We can't dig it up but we can whack it off. We can make sure that it gets no sunlight because no energy is a hindrance of the mind. Okay, it's the urge of the monkey to jump again and it shoots something up and all we do is whack it off. Mm -hmm. With that analogy, over time, the root will wither and die away because it's got no effort, energy put back into it to keep it sustained or keep it alive. This is why the Buddha is so insistent upon all fires have a fuel. Mm -hmm. The cow pies that you're talking about are the fuel for the fire <laughs> in the form of a habit. Yeah. And so that's the way we have to break it someplace and that's the place to break it. As soon as that stuff comes to mind, this is why sati is such a, an important teaching is to remember to look at what you're doing, to remember to look at those cow pies so you don't step in them anymore. Yeah. Or and then sometimes you remember, I am the rabbit right now. Never mind. I'm out. I'm not now. I can yeah. stop it. So back to the point about the monkey mind or the monkey that's jumping from branch to leaf to uh, place to place. The reason behind the monkeys being uh, in a position of jumping is not because he landed in a secure place. It's because the secure place either very quickly or suddenly become unpleasant, uncomfortable. Right. And so the mind will jump again. And so if we can make the mind comfortable, then it doesn't have the propensity to jump so much. So how do we do that? Well, one of the things that we can recognize is, is that um, there's sometimes underlying fear. And we could say it in the sense that one mind moment of uh, uh, a terrorizing situation, like uh, the bill arrived in the mail and I set it on the dresser and every time I pass by that unopened bill on the dresser, I say, uh oh, you know, that just one little thought moment. And then I can give myself a little pump of um, <clears throat> sort of adrenaline. I've got a job to do. Something is not quite right. Okay. So with that adrenaline, now the subconscious mind will say, well, why are you upset? What's going on? There must be some real big problem here. I mean, we all all intuitive and, and uh, synchronicity and uh, the power of, you know, the force <laughs> and everything like that. So if I have this feeling, Oh, Dan's asking a claim question that I did. He's saying, is it time? <laughs> so 
Yeah, I think it, he may have. Um... Yeah, he didn't get your time zone change. <laughs> yeah, never mind. Now, is that going to affect your ability to? No, I'm going. I'm. I'm. I'm good. I'm. I'm just rolling here. Thank you very much. <laughs> In fact, I think that uh, Parker can use some of this, uh, the things that happened in this um, video for uh, his snippets on uh, Damadu. Uh, yeah, I think this was really fun. I might release it as a bonus and then Parker can um, chop it up if he wants. How about that? All right. <laughs> you're not, uh, are you recording this? I'm recording no. it. Yeah, well, no, this is why I hit record it. just in case, because I had a feeling that, you know. You're recording uh, it. You said that right when you first got Yeah, it. that's right. It is, I've got it, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, so then let me let me give you a yeah, but let me throw a yeah, but before Daniel comes on here, which is yeah, but right now, I know you heard this 100 times, but nonetheless, um, my worry is, right, my worry is, well, if is it just a question or is it an absolute worry? Well, um, it's coming to my mind. I'm not, this isn't entirely th third person. You know, we're having a personal discussion. It's not entirely, you I know, know. <laughs> but um, the, uh, if one, uh, in a certain sense, you know, of course we have this idea of repression, right? So prevalent, the idea that um, don't repress anything. Otherwise what happens is it's like uh, drawing back a bone arrow, you know, it'll come out, the arrow will come out or holding a beach ball underwater. If you switch, if you slip, if your sati slips, or you're having a bad day, or you're a little tired, right? Or you bang your toe. Suddenly you lose that. Out shoots the beach ball and the uh, all the, uh, you know, things I, you've been sort I of like trying not to analogy. do, like, you know, such a good sati person. And then suddenly you you get off your game and everything that you've been, in a sense, sense repressing, I'm not, no, maybe it's not really repressing, but everything you shoots out and you go on some total binge and I'm just drinking coffee mindfully and what was, uh, mindlessly, and I'm <laughs> buying all these books because I, I had a really good week of sati and now I just lost it. I have to binge. <laughs> what do you think? All right. Well, the first point is, is that, um, the ball, the drawing of the bow and being afraid that if I lose my sati, I will let the arrow fly. Right, that's it. It's not the point. The point is, is to watch how we keep drawing that bow because the bow is not sitting there armed, but we do have the bow in the hand so that we can pull it back anytime we want to or anytime that we're triggered to do it. Right. So anytime that we see an enemy, it's almost automatic. And then the next thing you're saying, oh, well, repression is, I see an enemy and they go, and I'm holding it back like this. Yeah. Right. Well, that's a whole lot better, actually, than shooting the enemy with it. But we can look at it from a different perspective because the psychologists had to go through this in the 1970s. And I think that because of the faddishness and this uh, persistent idea of repression, mm. they have to keep learning the lesson. But it came through Fritz Perls with his talk about underdog and top dog. It eventually evolved into uh, if you really hate your mom, you need to tell her what the problem is. And then they got into pillow bashing. Yes. The next thing that they did is they started to have encounter groups. 
And from the encounter groups, they begin to have even an industry form that had boxing gloves and batons yeah. and protective equipment so that people could get the regressions out in group therapy. Yeah, catharsis. That was a very, very dangerous thing to do, but they Sorry. did it because it was releasing the suppressed hostilities and angers and whatnot or various things. In fact, some of them actually went for grief. That was another repressed grief, but repressed anger was the common one mm -hmm. within counter groups. Okay, so the guys who would beat these pillows and have these arguments or these shouting matches or these baton uh, uh, battles in the group would go home and start having physical violence at home, having domestic violence that they'd never had before. It was actually had, if there was a, such a thing as repressed violence, let's keep it repressed and deal with it repressed without having it to come springing out from time to time doing great harm. And let's deal with it to get it unsuppressed while it's still repressed. Okay. So that's where we come back to the issue of that root that we're not uh, uh, the, the, um, the vine that we're talking about or the, uh, the weed. You're seeing the weed is actually a giant thistle or a giant thicket of uh, um, uh, <clears throat> blackberry bushes and all of this kind of stuff with all the thorns or maybe it's wild roses with thorns or all over the place like this and that we've got to keep somehow keep this thing down. Actually, no, it's there. There's not that many of them. That's just the delusion that we have about time. In fact, every one of them only comes up in the now. It only comes up in this moment. There's only one thorn that appears and that's this thorn, but we've seen this thorn in its various forms so many times we think that there's hundreds of millions of these thorns. We're in fact, no, it's just this thorn. And if we can learn to deal with this thorn and that no matter how many thorns show up, we can deal with that thorn as this thorn, this beard dealt with in the here now. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of them, when we talk about it from the sense of repression, that's the victim's attitude. Oh no, I'm going to repress and I'm going to hold all of my hatred and hostility <laughs> inside. And then you have the line of, hey, I can handle this. I can deal with this thorn today. I don't care about the next thorn because I've got thorn dealing skills. I've been practicing and honing them up. I'm not going to keep a thorn and I'm not going to keep a weapon to deal with the thorn because I don't know what kind of thorn's going to come by, but when it does, got it. Right. <laughs> okay. So the mechanism, so, the mechanism behind all these, the coffee and the books and whatever else, uh, it's the same mechanism. So. Uh, you're working with something fundamental to all of the expressions. Well, we're, working, of we're working with waking up. We're working with the habit of looking at what you're doing so you have a choice about what you're doing. Dan's just coming on. I see his picture. There he is. Hey, there. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Guru Viking podcast. To hear the subsequent dialogue between Damarato and Daniel Ingram in episode number 125, the Mahasi Debate. Visit www.guruviking.com.